Let's pray, and we'll ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We pray that you help us to understand this passage from Revelation 13, this visionary passage. We pray that you help us to understand what it, what it does mean. Uh, we pray that you help us to respond rightly to it, that we may stand firm in Christ all of our days. Please give us wisdom and strength this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most difficult aspects of modern warfare is identifying the enemy. Identifying the enemy. It was a massive issue in the Vietnam War. Soldiers had no idea who was the South Vietnamese and who was the North Vietnamese. They didn't know who, was, who they should be shooting and who would be shooting them. One writer puts it this way. Vietnam was the only war America ever lost. At the risk of oversimplification, the basic reason for that defeat is that the Americans clearly failed to understand the nature of their enemy. It's also been a big issue in modern warfare in Iraq, in Afghanistan. It's hard to know who's a civilian and who's a fighter. People don't wear uniforms anymore with big insignia identifying themselves as your enemy or your friend. In fact, terrorists, guerrilla warriors, they do their best to hide who they are. That way they can catch you by surprise. You think you're dealing with a harmless civilian, but then suddenly they're shooting you or blowing you up with a bomb. In her recent book, Identifying the Enemy, Civilian Participation in Armed Conflict, Emily Crawford writes this. The law of armed conflict revolves around a particular fulcrum, the principle of distinction. International humanitarian law obliges parties to a conflict to distinguish between civilians and combatants. However, the principle of distinction is itself based on a fundamental assumption that one is able to make the distinction between a civilian and a combatant clearly and easily. Tough fighting a war when you don't know who the enemy is, when you can't identify or recognise the enemy, makes it very hard to know how to fight, how to survive. Well, last week in John's vision, we looked at visions about our enemy. We saw him pictured dramatically as a dragon. And we saw that the dragon, the devil, is at war with us. He can't touch us in heaven anymore. His accusation has been lost through the death of Jesus. And so he is on earth, in this vision, doing his best to turn us away from Jesus. He wants us to stop trusting in Jesus so he can have his accusation back. He wants us to stop trusting in Jesus so we won't be able to go to heaven where he can't go anymore. The devil is real. He is our enemy. But what does that look like? How can we identify the work of Satan in this world? If we can't recognise him, if we don't know his schemes, his strategies, it will be very difficult to know how to fight him. So how do we identify our enemy? Our passage today shows us two ways that Satan opposes us. Two of the main strategies of the devil. And it shows us what we need to do, how we can resist our enemy. Here in chapter 13, in John's vision, the way the devil fights against God's people is by employing two beasts. Two beasts. First beast, you can see in these first few chapters, first few verses, he comes out of the sea. This beast, you can see there, he has many 
Many, uh, many heads with crowns on them. He, he's, he has many kings. He also has lots of horns, lots of power. Uh, we also see that he is part leopard, part bear, and part lion. Sounds weird until you realise that he is a conglomeration of, uh, of beasts that you will find in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament in chapter 7. Uh, in Daniel chapter 7, these beasts, they represent the kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms of this world in opposition to God. And it's pretty clear that that's what the beast represents here as well, the kingdoms and the authorities of this world. And in this vision, the devil gives the beast of worldly kingdoms great power and authority. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1, have a look with me. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard that had the feet, that had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. So this beast of worldly kingdoms has great authority. A few other things about this beast. Uh, this beast has been fatally wounded, but he's been healed. Probably what the healed fatal wound symbolises is that as one kingdom falls, another one rises up to take its place. But it also sounds a bit like Jesus, doesn't it? Fatal wound that's been healed. These kingdoms, they imitate Jesus because they want to take Jesus' place. These worldly kings, they demand to be worshipped. They demand people's primary allegiance. They want to be our Lord. And they have power. Power to force people who won't comply. Verse 3. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound. But the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast and they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? These kingdoms of the world, they are powerful and they demand our allegiance. They claim to be the Lord of our lives and that's how it's going to be for 42 months. 42 months, the same period that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, isn't it? Time, times and half a time. Three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days. It's, it's that period uh, from, from the ascension until the return of Jesus. For this period, the powers of this world will be powerful and will persecute. Verse 5, they will try to take God's place. Verse 5, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. We also said that these world powers will oppress God's people. They demand our worship. They will not tolerate it if we put God above them. And for this age, they will succeed. Christians will be oppressed. Christians will be persecuted. The world will be led astray. The world will follow after world powers, world governments, world, uh, world systems. In fact, everyone who doesn't belong to Jesus, <clears throat> everyone who isn't chosen by him who doesn't have that seal we saw in chapter 7 will worship the beast verse 6 he opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven he was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them and he was given authority over every tribe people language and nation all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast all those 
whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. How can we identify our enemy, the devil? How does he fight here on earth? How does he turn people away from trusting in Jesus? Through oppressive kingdoms and regimes. The devil is behind the powers and authorities of this world so that they demand our primary allegiance, so that they demand our worship and our time and our talents. And if people resist, if we insist on putting Jesus first, it's going to mean trouble. So what do we need to do? How how do we fight against the devil and his schemes? John tells us, He says it's going to be tough and we need to patiently endure. We need to trust Jesus. Even if the powers of the day forbid us, even if they oppress us, even if they kill us, we need to stick faithfully with Jesus. Verse 9. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. The first beast, oppressive world authorities. How do we resist? Trust Jesus, even in the face of persecution. John now sees a second beast. This one is also trying to be like Jesus, trying to resemble Jesus. He has power like Jesus, horns like a lamb, it says. But this one... He speaks the smooth words of the devil. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. This beast, he doesn't only trick people with his words, he has the power to perform miraculous signs like the magicians of Egypt, uh, even, even like real prophets like Elijah. This beast uses his miracles to trick people into worshipping the first beast, into worshipping the stuff of this world, the kingdoms of this world. Uh, he, even, he even sets up a statue, just like uh, in the Old Testament, the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. You, re- you remember the story of King Nebuchadnezzar, how he set up his big image in Babylon and how everybody had to bow down and worship the image or else they would be killed? you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego thrown into the fire and all that kind of stuff? This beast will do exactly the same kind of thing. Verse 12. Uh, so it's the second beast now. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honour of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. At the second beast, he also insists that people have to be marked with his name. Christians, we've already seen, will be marked with the name of God and of Jesus and of the new Jerusalem. We saw that, uh, for example, back in chapter 3 and verse 12. Uh, We also saw chapter 7 and verse 3 that we have the seal of God on our foreheads, and we'll see it again later on. uh, The idea that as Christians, we are marked with God's name, like, like you might mark your name on your lunchbox. We belong to God. 
not, not physically marked, of course, but spiritually marked, belonging to God. Well, now the second beast wants to mark people with his name. He wants to be their owner. And if they won't do it, if they won't submit to him, they will pay. There will be economic penalty. They won't be able to buy or sell. Verse 16. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Okay. Well, we saw that the first beast was the oppressive kingdoms of this world. The key there was Daniel chapter 7. So who do you reckon this second beast is? The second beast that speaks the smooth words of the devil, that leads people astray with miraculous signs. He's false religions, isn't he? False teaching about God. In fact, if you're not sure, chapter 16 and verse 13 tells it to you. He's called there the false prophet in Revelation 16, 13. So how can we identify our enemy, the devil? How does the devil fight his war on earth? How does he stop the people of this world from putting their faith in Jesus and being saved? He uses false religions. He inspires false teaching, even backed up with miracles, all designed to get people to worship the things of this world, to get people to, to go along with, with, with putting their religions first to, to family or to, or to government, to get people to, to worship idols instead of God all designed to get people to worship anything other than Jesus. And if you won't follow these false religions, there will be penalties. The first and second beast are in league with each other. There will be economic penalties, maybe, maybe even death penalties. So what must God's people do? Oh, we saw how to resist the first beast, patiently endure under persecution. Now here's how we resist the second beast. How do you do it? Answer, you need to calculate his number. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 18. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast. For it's man's number, his number is 666. We need to calculate the beast's Number. What does that mean? Well, actually, in English, we have quite a similar expression today. We say, I've got your number. No, I'm not talking about in a pub. I'm talking about if, if someone, someone's trying to trick you. Well, what do we mean? What do we mean? We mean, I've got your number. I know what you're up to. I've worked you out. I can see through your deceit. I've got your number. The devil will use false religion. False teaching. That, that second beast will sound smooth and convincing like the devil did with Adam and Eve and there'll be an iron fist inside that velvet glove. If he can't seduce you, he'll try to force you to follow him. But friends, we need to have the beast's number. We need to be on him. We need to see through his deceit. So how can we do it? How will you know? How will you know true teaching from false teaching? Well, because the beast's number is 666. What does 666 mean? There's lots of debate about it. But I think in context the point is this. It's pretty close to 777, but it falls short. 
Seven, we've seen over and over again through the book of Revelation, is the number for God's work in this world. Seven seals, seven trumpets. In a couple of chapters, seven bowls of wrath. Seven is the number of the Sabbath day, the day of God's rest and relationship with his people where people worship the living God. On the seventh day, 666, it's close to 777. It it sounds like true and godly teaching. It's close to Father, Son and Spirit, the the, the dragon and the beast and the beast. It, it, It sounds like true godly teaching. It's a good imitation or forgery you might mistake the words of the false prophet for true words of God and so you'll need to be very careful because if you are careful you will see that it always falls short the beast will always end up teaching you to love the things of this world rather than the things of heaven the beast will always end up teaching you to, to hope in this life rather than in the resurrection to come the beast will always tell you choose comfort in this life And forget the next. The beast from the earth will always end up teaching you to follow earthly rulers, earthly idols, rather than King Jesus. Okay, can you see what's here then in Revelation chapter 13? The dragon, the devil, is using two beasts. The beast from the sea... The kingdoms and authorities of this world, the kingdoms and authorities who demand our allegiance, even our worship, and the the kingdoms and authorities who will persecute Christians if we insist on making King Jesus number one. So how do you resist? What do you need to do? How do you fight the enemy? Well, you stick with Jesus. And if that means trouble, if it means you fall foul of the authorities, too bad. We must patiently endure the beast from the sea. And then secondly, the beast from the earth, the false prophet. It's false teaching in religions. They will try to trick us with smooth words, even with miracles. They will call on us to worship and live for the things of this world, for the authorities of this world, the idols of this world, and there'll be penalties if we don't do it. It'll cost us economically, maybe even our lives. So what do we need to do? We need to have the beast's number. See through the deceit of false religion and false teaching. Stick with the true, original, apostolic, biblical teaching about Jesus. Okay. It's pretty easy to see how this teaching would have been relevant to the original readers of the letter of Revelation. Remember, so this is an important test. What would it mean for the original readers? What would it mean for those first century churches in Turkey? Well, many of them were being attacked by the dragon's first beast. They were facing all kinds of persecution. And John even identifies it as the work of the devil. Jump back with me to to chapter 2 and to the letters that are written to the first century churches in chapter 2. And let's see, because we'll see how suddenly it's all falling into place. You'll see. Come with me. Back to chapter 2. First of all, the church in Smyrna. This is chapter 2 and verse 10. Chapter 2 and verse 10. Notice how persecution is described in this church in Smyrna. Chapter 2 and verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you'll suffer persecution for 10 days. Who's behind the persecution? Well, come to verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13, and the church in Pergamum, chapter 2, verse 13. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Who's behind the persecution? 
Or there's the church in Philadelphia. They're being persecuted by the local synagogue authorities. The synagogue, Jesus calls, chapter 3, verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9, the synagogue of Satan. Satan's strategy was clear. He was using the authorities of this world to persecute the Christians, to threaten them, to intimidate them, to hurt them, even to kill them, all in an effort to, give them, to, get, to get them to give up on Jesus. It was there and happening for them. This teaching's for them. Now, you can also see the work of the second beast in these first century churches. You remember the church in Laodicea? You remember that they were lukewarm? Do you remember why they were lukewarm? Because what were they relying on? What were they living for? The stuff of this world, themselves, their wealth, their intelligence. They'd been tricked into worshipping and trusting in the things of this world. Or those churches in Pergamon and in Thyatira, they were both being subjected to false teaching. They were being taught, chapter 2, verse 24, Satan's deep secrets. False teaching that said it was okay to participate in idol worship, to eat food sacrificed to idols, to have sex with the temple prostitutes. False teaching that was saying it was fine to go along with the false religion of their day. Now, some of you may remember from our studies in 1 Corinthians last year... Uh, that idol worship was very central to life in first century Turkey. Remember chapters 8, 9 and 10 of 1 Corinthians last year? We're talking about how um, family celebrations were held in idol temples. You know, if your family had a big birthday party, they'd have it in the church hall, except it was the idol temple hall, and they'd have a big feast with food sacrificed to idols and the temple prostitutes would be there. So, so if you didn't participate in it, you would alienate your family. Not unlike being asked to burn the joysticks or something like that now. Also, do you, remember, do you remember the trade guilds would hold their meetings in the, in the idol temples as well? So if you wanted to get ahead in business, if you wanted to make connections, if you wanted to be part of the, 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 you know, the, kind of the training conventions and that kind of stuff, you, you had to be involved in the idol temples and be eating the food sacrificed to idols and all that kind of stuff. If you didn't participate back in first century Turkey, you literally did lose the ability to buy and sell. You lost out economically. This was exactly for them. No wonder then that the teaching of the beast was so attractive. Just go along with your family. It's just a birthday party. Don't make waves. Don't disrespect your family. Join in with the idol worship. It's not going to matter. Or maybe your job is at stake here. How are you going to support your family if you selfishly refuse to be part of the trade guild of the idol because of your religion? How are you going to survive? How are your children going to survive? How are you going to have a witness among your colleagues? Just join in the idol worship. It'll be fine. Satan's deep secrets. That 666 teaching is tricky stuff. It sounds plausible and there's plenty to lose if you won't go along with it. The devil was at work. In those first century churches, persecution and false teaching were rampant. And of course, nothing much has changed, has it? They say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And sadly, the devil's strategies ain't broke. They're as effective today as they were in the first century. Friends, the devil is at work here in this world today. How can you identify him? Look, I suspect if we're thinking of spinning heads and green vomit, well, we're off track there. Because, friends, that's not the main strategy. 
That's not how the devil has deceived the nations. No, no, our enemy is at work through his two beasts. He's at work in authorities, world authorities that persecute Christians and the reality is that today Christians are being persecuted in unprecedented numbers. In communist countries, in Muslim countries, in India, in China, it is rampant. Wherever, in the many, many places in this world today, if you put loyalty to Jesus above loyalty to the state, if you will not bow down to Caesar, so to speak, then you will suffer. That is many, many, if not most countries in our world today. It's happening all over the world. And of course, in small ways, it does happen in our lives as well. So how can you recognise the work of the devil? Don't look for spinning heads and green vomit. No, no, no. It's when people are making you feel scared to be a Christian. It's when you feel too intimidated to, to, to let people know that you're a Christian and talk about Jesus. It's when you face trouble or teasing or some disadvantage because you're confessing and living for Jesus. That is the work of the dragon's first beast. You've got to be able to identify it. And you want to fight, friends. We have to resist. We have to patiently and faithfully endure, courageously live for Jesus, even when we're scared, even when there's good reason to be scared. Courageously live for Jesus, no matter what the cost. The devil is also at work. I'm going to say something just politically so incorrect. The devil is also at work today in false religions and false teaching. False religions, I'm talking about Islam, I'm talking about Buddhism, I'm talking about Hinduism, they are not a commendable expression of human diversity. They are the work of the devil. The work of the devil's second beast. And friends, those two beasts will continue to work together, won't they? You constantly see religion and the state in bed with each other. You see it in Muslim countries. You see it in communist countries. You, you see it where if you do not follow the dominant religion, you suffer. When I was at school, a number of my very, very close friends were basically refugees from Malaysia because in the 70s and 80s, Christians and Chinese people in Malaysia we're not allowed to participate in government. We're not allowed to be involved in universities. It was the beast not allowing them to buy and sell. The devil is at work in false religions. Now, I'm not saying that we should disrespect anyone. I'm certainly not saying that we should ourselves become persecutors of people who disagree with us. That's not, not at all where this is going, but we do need to know what we're dealing with. We need to pray for people deceived by false religion and we need to commend the true Jesus by our actions and our words. We need to beware of false religions and friends, we need to beware of, of every other false teaching about God because it is everywhere, on our TVs, on our computers, even in our churches. We need to calculate the number of the beast. Check what we hear against God's word. Keep your Bible open. Make sure that what you hear is pointing you to Jesus and the gospel. Just because it's on TV or on the internet does not mean that it's true. Don't blindly trust teachers, whether that be me or anyone else. Keep that Bible open. Keep discerning the number of the beast. Because, friends, the devil is very real. Very much at work in our world. He's at work in persecution. He's at work in false teaching. 
We've got to patiently endure. We've got to be discerning. No matter what, we must hold on to the Lord Jesus. Know our enemy and stick with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you that even though we are weak, yet in Christ we are able to persevere. Thank you for writing our names in the book of life. Thank you for sealing us with the seal of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will help us to trust Jesus and to continue trusting Jesus no matter what happens to us, no matter what we hear. Please help us not to be tricked or scared out of trusting Jesus. Father, we pray about our world where the devil's work is so obviously rampant in godless governments, in idolatrous religion, in false teaching. We pray, Heavenly Father, would you please have mercy and please bring Jesus back soon. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.